I don't know about you guys, but uh, I decided not to wear underwear for this recording. <laughs> uh, you you usually do. <laughs> well, I, you know, I just thought you could join me in solidarity. For I, this I I hired Wayne Knight to sweat ten feet away from me the entire time. <laughs> Listeners, welcome to another episode of a free podcast. I'm your co-host Rob, joined as always by my I um, interested friends listening on intently and sweating, Joe and Dub. <laughs> Do you have a cigarette? <laughs> I'm I'm so I'm already uncomfortable for this podcast. I'm just... <laughs> um, this is by far the horniest movie we've ever talked about. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I mean, we've never talked about a movie with exposed vulva <laughs> until the inevitable day we talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula. This is the horniest. <laughs> um, so we're talking about uh, Basic Instinct. We are continuing our erotic thriller season. This is our third episode, and uh, you know, we started with Fatal Attraction, which was like the first like massive hit. Went to Body Double, to something that was a little bit like pre-erotic thriller was quite being established. And now, I don't know. I think this is, in my mind at least, this is probably the goat. This, of oh, this, no question. This, this is the apex. It's the '90s now. Everyone is just horned up and rich and yeah. coked. <laughs> Yep, yep, and uh, we got Basic Instinct. And people uh, are on so much drugs that they think Michael Douglas is hot. Yeah, and he, I listen. We talked a lot about Michael Douglas before, but man, his face just keeps falling apart with each one of these movies we watch. <laughs> Smoking is bad. <laughs> um, so I mean, right away, Le- leathered is the term I would use. <laughs> Right away, I mean, this movie, this like the first ninety seconds of this movie, we got sex, we oh, have yeah. nudity, we have murder, we have blood, we have a dead, flaccid penis, we have cocaine. <laughs> like that is like the first ninety seconds, and I inject it into my veins. It's the best. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it's, just it just over the top silliness but it knows it yeah so i was gonna say like paul verhoeven's movies are i i don't know that there's much most of them have some kind of thing to say Mm -hmm. i'm not sure i could (laughs) i didn't want to think that hard i'm pretty sure this one doesn't i Um, i there are points there are points where i thought it did but then they were undone five minutes later i i I think maybe the, the it's an a cab movie is the best I could do because the cops in this movie are just so wildly like incompetent and they're just, the buffoonery is off the charts. But I'm stretching there, obviously. Uh, but the thing, the beauty of Verhoeven is like with movies that are push the limit like this, you you're having fun, but you don't know if you're having fun with the filmmaker. But you always know you're having fun with him. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, and I I generally would agree if you compare this to like RoboCop or Starship Troopers or something like that. It's not. It's not as heady as those kind of like secretly are, I would say, because those are all like those are both like really fun movies. And by the end, you're like, oh, there's some interesting things that were said. This I don't know if there is anything to like come out of this. So um, we but will it is fun. 
we'll get into the themes of this movie, which come a lot from the writer. And oh boy, is he! Yes. I mean, I I vaguely remember that he was a thing, but he is a character. I mean, we have. I mean, let's get. In, we'll get. I'm gonna get to the plot in just a minute. But just from like a talent standpoint in this movie, we have we have Paul Verhoeven's directing. We have Joe Esterhaus writing it, who is like in the Erotic Thriller Hall of Fame, and we'll get to him more. We have Michael Douglas, also Erotic Thriller Hall of Fame. We have Sharon Stone in like a career-making performance. Music by Jerry Goldsmith. We have the cinematography by, I never know if I say his name right, but uh, Yande Bont, who like was a cinematographer for Die Hard and then later on directed A Midnight Boy's Favorite Speed. As well as, <laughs> um, as, well, as, well as Twister. Yeah. So there, I mean, there is, this is, this is like, let's make a big movie and, and, and every, sex it up. Every scene has another, oh, it's that guy moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but An, and another, another Midnight Boys, I, I'm pretty sure we're in agreement, Hall of Famer, Wayne Knight. Oh, at yes. His, at his absolute heaviest and sweatiest. <laughs> and mm-hmm. smoothest. I did read a fun fact that after um, Spielberg saw this movie, he loved Wayne Knight in it and cast him first in Jurassic Park. Oh, based off he, this, he kills in both of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steven Tobolowsky, another great character actor. Most you'd most likely know him from Groundhog Day Ned as the, the uh, what's his guy? What's his name in that movie? Ryerson. <laughs> Ned Ryerson. Beetlenose Ned. <laughs> Ned the Head. <laughs> And his his scene as like a expert psychologist or psychiatrist, something uh, else. Uh, it's fantastic. So I, if you haven't seen Basic Instinct, you should watch it. Um, I'm it's a. It's, I was talking to Joe before we started. This is kind of a difficult plot to try to like talk about, but I, I'm just gonna. I, I guess I could frame. I, I was thinking since you mentioned that. I think you can start by just framing it. It's it's just your basic film noir story of mm-hmm. a seductress, uh, the femme fatale, just trying to drag what's normally a good man, but in yeah. this case, <laughs> they they didn't bother with that part, uh, into like a world of criminality. It doesn't totally follow that, but she certainly is like a siren into a dangerous world. But in that case, the dangerous herself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we like I said, it opens with this, 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 like the first ninety seconds. We have a former rock star. He's in bed having sex, and then he gets murdered by that woman he's having sex with. Which is a with an woman. ice pick. <laughs> with an ice pick. That's an important part. Which then leads the detective Nick Kieran, uh, also nicknamed Shooter. <laughs> That's so funny because he just indiscriminately shoots bystanders. I, he's I believe, killed. I believe five his bo- people. His body count is five. The last two. He did while high on cocaine because he was undercover. And they were tourists. There were <laughs> yeah. just people visiting San Francisco that he shot. Yeah. Um, just and so he, trigger, it, trigger happy Michael Douglas. Yes, it, which leads him to investigate the Rockstar's um, girlfriend, which is Catherine Trammell, Trammell, Catherine Trammell, which is played by Sharon Stone. She's a millionaire. She's an author. And she had written a book where a rock star, former rock star, got killed the exact same way. So Nick starts to investigate her. Uh, while she's invest, while he's investigating her, he falls for her. But she's also writing a book about a cop <laughs> that's investigating a murder that's based off of him. So you have <laughs> this going. As as we mentioned, Nick has his own issues, um, being killed 
multiple people, and he's seeing a uh, therapist, uh, Dr. The police, police psychiatrist. Police psychiatrist, played by um, Jan Triplehorn, uh, who's also great in this. Uh, yeah, is, you'd recognize her. Yeah. I, uh, I couldn't put my finger on what I recognized her from, but... Uh, and she um, she plays Dr. Beth Garner, and then there's just sort of a lot happens. I don't even know if it's worth going into, but no, a lot it's, happens. it's not. Because <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's just well, I do think you should mention uh, Catherine Turmel's uh, bisexual girlfriend who tries Roxy. to tries to kill Michael Douglas, uh, mm-hmm. and also I I think my favorite character maybe other than Wayne Knight is Gus. I mean, Gus, Gus is a Hall of Famer. Gus is Gus is the only cop in this movie who isn't just a bag of rocks, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody should have listened to Gus. Yeah, Gus is in the best, like the most quotable lines from this movie are pretty much all Gus, I would say. Or Sharon uh, or, or Catherine Chabell. She has some pretty good lines. That's like, true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the movie pushes forward, and then there's kind of a ambiguous ending. Uh, that's still fun. I don't think it's a frustrating ending. I think it's a fun, like, oh, okay. Who knows? I, I, Who cares? I will, I will say that <laughs> I, I wish this movie were a little tighter because there's just a lot of plot nonsense I didn't care about for a, for a spell. But, yeah, overall, uh, an enjoy, <laughs> an enjoyable trip into uh, Cocaine's id. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And so, I mean... Once again, similar to Fatal Attraction, this movie was a big old hit. Um, it was it. I, I mean, I, I think we maybe find this more fascinating than anyone else, but I find like box office numbers from other years just. It's especially just, fascinating when you compare currently. Yeah, yeah. So Basic Instinct was the sixth biggest movie of the year, which to sort of like put that into into like context, it made more money than Aladdin. Wow. Good. <laughs> the top movies that year were uh, Midnight Boy's favorite, Batman Returns, uh, Lethal Weapon 3, Sister Act, Home Alone 2, Wayne's World, Basic Instinct, League of Their Own, Aladdin, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, and then Under Siege. Just a uh, incredible list of movies, I it's think. It's a great year. Yeah. Um, and is, even like, if you Terminator go farther... T- oh, no, Terminator 2 is a year prior. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So... um. It's just a you know another big massive hit. It was this. a cultural touchstone, and I mean part of it was just due to how it was scandalous. Yeah, the interrogate. Yes. We should probably talk about the interrogation scene. Yeah, we do need to talk to inter- about the interrogation scene. I mean, um, I was so, this was ninety four, ninety two, ninety two. So I was ten years old when this came out, and um, I vividly remember the scuttlebutt about this, and I was only ten. I, mean, I, I was have, I was a full grown man by ten. So. <laughs> I have I have embarrassing things to admit about this scene. Oh, oh my god. god! Are they going to be cut? For... No, I don't know. I don't know. No, they'll, they'll make it. So, uh, yeah, the most famous scene in this movie is actually a fantastic scene where um, uh, they bring in they bring in Sharon Stone's character to interrogate her, and you know she doesn't want a. Uh, she goes in this room full of like five or six white men who are the all suits. smoking. She's smoking. They're in their suits, and they start asking her questions. And like right away, the whole power dynamic starts to change. And she's clearly in control, and she's the one making them feel uncomfortable. And the one that's like, you know, she starts asking. I think she starts, you know, 
talking directly to Nick and making him feel uncomfortable. And it's just like a fun power dynamic scene, I think. She kind of uses, like, what is it, jujitsu, where you use your opponent's aggressiveness against them? Yeah. And yeah. she just takes all of their leering and their horniness and uh, completely, like, disables all of them with it. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that that's good, but it's it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch, and uh, the, obviously the most famous part of the scene is uh, she uncrosses her legs, showing us, as Duff so eloquently put it earlier, her vulva, which yeah is wild. Like I I just think about this like this you know I I get I get that at this time like Sharon Stone wasn't a huge star. Um, but she'd Had, been in Total Recall, but like I was trying to think if she'd been anything else besides Total Recall. That's all I all I could really I you know there's no way to find out. She was not a, she was not a name brand. You no, didn't, but it, you, you didn't say let's get Sharon Stone. But this is still a name brand movie, you know. Like her casting actually upset Michael Douglas because they wanted a bigger star, but obviously the amount of nudity that is in this movie was more than most stars, even in this, you know, erotic thriller era were willing Michael to Douglas do. didn't realize that, I think, as Joe said, whereas he has it written into his contract that he has to be nude. Most, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, mo- most women uh, are not as comfortable with that in Hollywood. Um, and so we have the sequence. Um, and le- here's, I said I had something embarrassing to uh, to talk about. So I, hadn't, I didn't see this movie until... Gosh, it might have been college when I finally saw it. I had the DVD with the ice pick in it. You know what I'm talking about? That like blue <laughs> yeah. case DVD. Um, but I had always seen, you know, this this was a firestorm when this scene occurred. And all I knew about it is I had seen like screen grabs of like <laughs> the sequence, screen right? Screen grabs? And then, and this then is 1990. The... Oh, okay. Never mind. I thought yeah. you were saying like 10-year-old Robinson no, no, screen no. grabs. Or, or even like then on like they would blur things out on the TV or to talk about it on like, I don't know, current yeah. affair or whatever. I don't know I, what it would be. I, re- I remember that this was all over entertainment tonight. Yeah. what but, I remember. Yeah. I thought... This I thought Basic Instinct was a sci-fi movie because it kind of looks sci-fi in this interrogation room, A, and B, I thought that it wasn't intentional. I thought it was accidental, and it just like I didn't know it was part of the plot. I thought it just made its way like a little a little oopsies <laughs> that like made its way that once it was put on a big screen, people were like, "Damn, that's that girl's vulva." <laughs> Well, did you? There's some debate about whether or not Sharon Stone was told about that. Yes, yeah. which is very uncomfortable. If if her story, if her, I mean, I mean, I she's probably the one telling the truth. But like, uh, yeah, the story is essentially that right. What she was wearing white underwear, and it was going to be like it was obviously it's part of the script that she does it. But Paul Verhoeven told her that like the light was shining off it weird, and promised her that like you know they wouldn't see anything and. Uh, and then, she, and then she found out at the premiere that her... yeah yeah which is wild and bad don't don't trick women don't no. <laughs> if you, if you take one thing away from this weirdly uncomfortable season <laughs> do not trick women do not trick women don't don't trick them into jumping into the waters of lake minnetonka <laughs> and don't don't trick them into showing their vulva on screen mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, Joe, you said you remember the scene well. 
Yeah, just the just the controversy, like Duff was saying, it was it was a sensation. You didn't even have to see it, uh, see the movie to like know about it. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be it, one of the most like a top five most famous moments ever. Like I of the last certainly the last thirty years. I'm yeah, sure there was yeah. a lot of pause VHSs. <laughs> well, and especially because this is one of those things that also just seeped into parody everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you, on top of that, you know, I, I can't even think of any specific example, but this just, you know, this was everywhere that it, there would be a spoof of it. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I thought it was just an incident, like an accident. Um, I didn't think it was actually part of the movie. You just thought it was a good natured goof. <laughs> Yeah, like, I thought it was like, uh, you know, Janet Jackson's nipple. <laughs> like, it was like, oops. Um, that Not that it was, you know, a, like an important part of the scene. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it, it's just it's just wild. Like I said from the beginning, it's just wild that this movie has that. Like, I, you, I can't, I can't imagine a movie now having that. Like a like a like a top ten box office hit having that right? No, I mean the the general rule is, and we'll, this is probably a good segue to the rating, uh, hullabaloo. But um, usually, uh, men or women, uh, you you can't show the groin without the NC seventeen. Usually, yeah, yeah, and it's for, and we see we see I, you know we do see a penis in this movie as well. Um, and the 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 rating is obviously this movie initially got an NC seventeen, which I mean quite honestly makes sense. Um, and what was wild about it is, uh, the reason they were able to get it to an R, and this is just how broken the rating system is in general, because there was um so much violence inside the sex scenes that there was this constant threat of violence like change the meaning of the sex scenes so that it was okay god to have it it's just um, deeply stupid the the ratings <laughs> i mean like, it's... well it is it is i mean i i agree with that it is in keeping though because the general was like oh sex is bad but oh murder yeah it's fine yeah. so so it, it was the violence that brought it down yeah yeah, so the, the exact quote is, or Vorhoven said, because it was a thriller, the idea that Sharon Stone could kill him during sex was always an element of protection. So we could show sex and nudity much longer than normal because there was another element there, the element of threat. Um, so they ended up cutting about 40 seconds of material, which apparently is in the European was it all Was it all Michael Douglas's ass? <laughs> <laughs> Just 40 seconds of him walking to the bathroom. Um, apparently, like... Verhoeven's never been bothered by what he had to cut. Like he just cut a couple things and used some different angles, but nothing. I don't think it was like storyline wise. Everything was the same. Like nothing. The tone of the movie didn't change because of those changes. Joe, you touched on a little bit. Let's talk about Nick as a cop. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he wasn't like a vice cop undercover, something related to cocaine. So I would assume it was drug dealers, but I guess I don't know. Mm-hmm. And he he just became a full out cokehead and alcoholic, and shot too many people. So then their <laughs> so he got a, he got a light warning for yeah, shooting. Their all solution those people. was he had to go to therapy and become a homicide detective instead. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> and um, he's just transparently sleeping with his therapist. Oh, I mean. 
that's everyone yes. knows. And he, uh, at the you know, they show up. At, they show a, up at each other's houses. So he they, hasn't had a drink in what three months? He says, he, yeah, yeah. He stopped smoking and stopped drinking. Um, and and he's he's having an on again off again relationship with the therapist and. The first time we see them go at it, it is uncomfortable. Yeah. I would say it it's sexually assaulty. Yeah, yes. don't, no doubt. Um, but I, I was going to say, as a police officer, it is funny that the first one of the first things we see him do in police work is accidentally turn on the stereo at a crime scene. <laughs> 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 And have no idea how to turn it off. Like I don't know. What's uh, he's, yeah. like, he's like Willie Loman in his boss's office. Like shut it off, shut it off. <laughs> he he is the world's most trusting detective because whatever people tell him, he for a short time takes it at face value, and it isn't until usually Gus yells at him that he yeah. Starts. He there like most noir films, like the detective is the smartest one in the room and plays all their cards super close to the vest this guy is a a moron and a simpleton and i love it i mean by the end when we get to like the ending the audience nor does our detective truly know if he's even solved the case no yeah and (laughs) uh he definitely hasn't i didn't really think the ending was that ambiguous but uh i mean she clearly said well whatever okay uh, also, I just there's so many moments where he just follows Sharon Stone around and drives recklessly and loses her over and over and over again. <laughs> he is the world's worst tailor. <laughs> like every, he is really bad at following people in cars. And I think probably his finest moment is he he is ostensibly investigating her, but really is just dating her. And yep. she, he, I think he thinks he's intimidating her by saying he's going to keep following her. And then she just invites him to the club later. He's like, all right, sure. I'll see you there. <laughs> and he shows up like he's dressed for like a Thanksgiving gathering. <laughs> he, he, has his, like a, his, he has like a V-neck sweater deep, on. Deep V-neck sweater. <laughs> his, yeah. He shows up at uh like that. Uh, from the first Matrix, that nightclub they go to in the beginning, yeah. he show he shows up there uh, like <laughs> like your dad would, co- like going to a, a casual brunch. Yeah, it's yeah. it's your dad's first visit to you uh, in college, like in like October or November. So it's it's the fall now. <laughs> you're settled in, and dad shows up in a sweater, and you're excited to show him to introduce him to all your young friends. That's basically um, the club scene, except instead somehow. He still scores with her and just starts making out with her on the dance floor. Imagine being at that club and seeing those two. Well, it's it's funny because um, that what you're talking about him being a dad reminds me of a friend of the show, Rob Dog. Whenever there's times that we end up at like a handful of times that we've ended up at a bar that's more college studenty than us, he'll just start yelling a like a, a woman's name as if it's his daughter. He'll just be like, "Hey, is Trisha here? Has anyone seen Trisha?" <laughs> and that's what it felt like when michael douglas showed up like like he's trying in, to find his daughter who ran off to the club in addition to all the other things we've talked about uh why nick is the world's worst detective slash cop he also openly antagonizes uh sharon stone's girlfriend who may or may not be a uh a lead <laughs> just openly taunting yeah, yeah. yeah. could have done it could have done it who knows 
he's he's like the the second assistant on the college basketball team showing up at frat parties. <laughs> he's got that, that energy. Yeah, yeah, he is a an absolute garbage and, detective. There's there's a point where he and uh, he, has, he has the divorced dad uh, apartment to go with it. Oh God, yeah, he does, and he has that moment when he's like trying to track down her past uh, at college. He goes like a college admissions office, and he's like asking her to look up a name and she doesn't have it and he's oh like, my god <laughs> he's like well is there a chance it could be wrong and she's like no unless you are like <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he he forgot a letter on the name uh, yeah th- that yeah. is I, for me that is uh, up there with the stereo moment that displays nick's incompetence because this man is a detective whose job <laughs> is to think outside the box and explore every lead and he gets all into like there is no lisa oberman it's like it's lisa hoberman you dummy and he's like oh <laughs> he should have been like one of the detectives in in the heat of the night and like some hick town in mississippi or something but instead is in one of america's premier cities he is a lead yeah. homicide detective somehow yep. yeah yeah he is which is uh, his punishment not good not good um the other interesting thing is I was reading some stuff about this and apparently uh, him and Sharon Stone, like like Sharon Stone apparently never felt comfortable around Michael Douglas, which part of me is like, well, I mean, who would? <laughs> got that, got cancer from Cunnilingus. <laughs> yeah, she didn't want to get cancer. I, I will say anyone who invents that fabrication, yeah, I don't trust them. <laughs> hmm. um, so, you know, this is another another erotic thriller and uh, most of the tropes that are established um, with Fatal Attraction continue with this. Uh, I just want to talk about the real estate. We have these beautiful houses. Just <laughs> the incredible. richest people imaginable. <laughs> richest people except, with the richest things. Except for Nick, although Nick's apartment now would probably cost like $3,000 a month in San Francisco, but it's pretty modest in his cars. Like, that was the only yeah, one thing I liked. It's, it's he's not rich, yeah. right? Like he's just like he even makes a comment about not having any money. Um, so yeah, he he oh, is cocaine but he, is expensive, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets the, but like most of the the movie takes place outside of his apartment. Uh, in in like he drives the Catherine's world's uncoolest world. car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, guys, ice picks. Have you ever used one? I was trying to think if I had. I don't think I have. Yeah, it looks I, incredibly difficult. I feel like we had one in our kitchen, but we never used it. We always just had ice trays. Yeah. I just, you know, like you watch her use it and you're just like, man, I would. It's like, what's that game that people play like in the Old West and in, in Pirates? Oh. The five finger thing with the knife? Oh. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. It's an alien. Yeah, I was going to say the, the thing Bishop does in Aliens. Yeah, yeah, it's like that, but to crush your ice. Well, uh, that's another great line in this movie, too, is he he asks her why she chops ice like that, and she's like, I like rough edges. That made me giggle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I go back and forth, and we'll get to Joe Esterhouse soon. Uh, I go back and forth if I think the script is good or not, because I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun and clever, and sometimes I'm like, oh, boy, what's happening here? There's, yes, the answer is both, but... uh... (laughs) Uh, obviously, uh, what happens if you remove the sex from this movie? Is there a movie left? No. It's just isn't. it's just the saddest, <laughs> loneliest detective. Um, but but, but this I mean, it, but it it uses sex in a much more interesting way 
you know, yes. like it's necessary, but, but like Verhoeven says, it's, it adds like a, a tension to it that I think is really entertaining. Because it's threatening. Yeah. Because we just, yes. you know, there's all the times that she arches her back and then comes back down and you're not sure if she's going to have an ice pick or not. Yeah. But, uh, um, I, you mentioned it earlier, but uh, I, I enjoy this Jerry Goldsmith score, which is just Jerry, Go- yes. Jerry Goldsmith doing his best uh, Bernard Herrmann. Like this is mm-hmm. a number of Hitchcock scores, you know, mushed into one and I'm here for it. That's yep. good. You know. And that's probably an honorary member of the Erotic Thriller Hall of Fame is Alfred Hitchcock, Lifetime Achievement, because all these he, movies ahead are, of his time. <laughs> yeah, all these movies are like, Const- what if Hitchcock was hornier? Const- constrained by the <laughs> constrained by the rating system and not into cocaine. I yeah. think I think he was plenty horny. He just couldn't yeah. be sure. horny. <laughs> what if he yeah. could be hornier? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean Sharon Stone's character, especially in the interrogation room, is literally the Hitchcock icy blonde. It's yes. Tippy Hedren, it's uh, Kim Novak, it's all those people. It's, I mean, that's and, that's not an accident. I'm sure Verhoeven has said that that's an homage. Or... And there's a vertigo element to this movie. Obviously, it's in San Francisco. It's uh, oh yeah, you know this 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 like model this double idea. Um, it, uh, it's it's San Francisco's got to be top easily top three cities to make a movie in. Like it's such it's all movies shot there look so cool. Yeah, I'm with you, 100. percent Yeah, just having cars like having a car chase in San Francisco, that's perfect. You got to do that. Yeah, yeah. Like bullet. Um, yeah. Or what's up, Doc? Even the um, car chases in this are pretty good. I mean, yeah, that, they that, are. That's not something that Verhoeven's really known for, but pretty pretty solid car chases. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think this continues a lot of those erotic thriller tropes. Um. The thing I wanted to talk about, not just with this movie, but in general, and once again, this is a, a take from Wesley Morris, but it, it allows us to dive into some related things with this movie. Um, Wesley Morris pointed out they found it like I don't. He doesn't think it's a coincidence that when erotic thrillers were at their biggest, um, movies in which people were um, were. Die, like where sex and death were so interconnected at the same time where the AIDS crisis was happening and people were dying because of sex. That think, there's like a connection between those two. I think there's something to that. It's hard to really uh, qualify um, or I guess quantify, but I, I mean, I, I think there's something to that. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's there's that sort of same relationship in like slasher movies you know, 10, 10, 12 years earlier too, but, but those were not nearly as like mainstream either. So the fact that they're able to become top 10 movies with that, I that probably, there's probably something to be said for that. I mean, uh, uh, Verhoeven said that he always thought this movie was about, there's a quote from him. I always thought the movie was about evil. I always thought that the, in an economy falling down with the dangers of life all around you, the danger of AIDS, the danger of crime, people are more aware of the fact that an evil is an existing everyday factor in your life. So um, I, I also believe, I don't remember where I read it, so I can't quote it exactly, but um, Michael Douglas wanted to, like, double down on a movie with sex because of the AIDS crisis, because of this, like, thought of, like, sex will go away in movies because of this. <laughs> okay. Um, which I, I wish I had the, like, direct quote on it, and I don't, so, like, that's a bummer. He, 
he seems like a big dumb in a lot of ways. <laughs> he probably is. He probably is. I mean, but, you know, thanks to his dad, he never had to work a day in his life or try at anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, I mean, this movie's filmed in San Francisco, which Joe mentioned, um, which, you know, is interesting. And the other thing I think we need to talk about, and I don't, I don't really know how I feel about it, but one of the big issues when this movie came out was um, – is uh, during the filming of it there was a lot of protest by gay rights activists because once again another movie where like you know a gay or lesbian is evil yeah it, i um, think it was i don't know it's it's hard to say looking back but i think part of it was just that oh here we go again it's yet another example of this and they're filming it in um you know the most uh, the U.S. city most associated with gays and gay rights. My favorite thing I read is that the protesters would try to, like, screw up the filming of it by, like, being outside protesting. And they would, like, have, like, one example of a sign was, like, honk if you love the 49ers. <laughs> so that people <laughs> would honk while they're driving by the set. That's good. <laughs> um, good work, yeah, gays. <laughs> I, I, think, I think you're right. Like, I, I guess that's what I was trying to say is, I didn't watch this movie in 1992, um, nor did I have that sort of awareness um, of anything. I was nine. This is, I, I think another reason is this is um, following uh, less than a year, uh, Silence of the Lambs, which also had controversy about uh, mm-hmm. gay and lesbian tropes, and it, mainly that Buffalo Bill was a cross-dresser and there was some coded homosexuality. And I mean, that was another big hit an Oscar winner. So I think it was kind of, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't in a vacuum. It was just part of a trend. Yeah. Cause I, it's actually like a rare, it's like most of these movies that we have been revisiting sort of age worse a lot of times, but like, this is the thing where actually it feels like it doesn't because we don't live in so much of a vacuum about that anymore. Like it, it rewatching it. I knew that cause I had seen it many times and had known that that was a controversy of it. But, like, watching it in 2020, it didn't feel that way. I think the, di- the difference is the... because, you know, name prior to 1992, like, name a big cultural movie with a gay character. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. it just seems that watching it now, it seems like her bisexuality is, like, in the context of the movie, treated more as, like, a mark of her liberation compared yeah. to all the squares around her and, and her confidence in how like and matter of fact she's about it just make made me just di- didn't make didn't really re- make the that sort of yeah the character who's it's not LGBT always being evil like it, it just didn't register with me because that's because of the way it's treated in this in the in the story i guess but part i get the criticism for sure though um i think Catherine actually is a fantastically rich character yeah and i, I think and i think that it hurts the movie that uh, Nick is such, a, such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're very mis. I mean, you know, it's how impressed with yourself can you be if you fool Nick? Like everyone fools him. In this. Yeah, a, a stereo fools him. Nick, that's stereo. Which, like, you wonder if that that's trying to say something like re- reversing who the cat and who the mouse is. Uh, regard to gender to some extent but it probably would be more fun if they were both smart yeah like it, <laughs> but i don't think is, the writer is smart enough for them to both be smart 
No. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, that's, um, a, that's a... I, that is a good segue, but I did want to point out, I think the much more offensive character is Roxy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Roxy is a hot mess. <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, yeah, I guess a good point. Yeah, it's 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 just, yeah, I think this is, a, a, a like I said, a rare example of a movie that 20 years later, like, it's, it does, it actually is fine because of the world we live in now versus, like, when this came out and there was just no lgbtq representative representation at all and if it was it was just like look at this person they kill people yeah otherwise you have to go to an art theater and see i I don't i can't even think of something um desert hearts sure (laughs) i Um, mean you have to get pretty obscure for like yeah 80s 90s movies early 90s movies with gay characters who are not just total wackos um all right joe esterhouse who um, I said is in the erotic thriller Hall of Fame, um, which I can't wait to build. Um, he did. He wrote the screenplay for Flashdance, which is not a not it, one of those. But it's, it's a it's a cousin of the erotic thriller. I mean, it's it's a an attractive welder gets horny and dances. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, he did um, Jagged Edge, Jade. Basic Instinct. Um, I don't know if I'm missing Showgirls, baby. The, the... Showgirls pretty much ended his career. Uh, S- Silver was the other one I was thinking. Is it of. Silver or Sliver? I always it's forget. Sliver. Okay. It's Sliver. Which, yeah. the, which is with Sharon Stone as well. Sharon Stone and not Alec Baldwin, but another Baldwin. Uh, w- William Baldwin. Yeah, Billy Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and Jade, which is. Um, which is on my list of movies that I've, I want to talk about. I've now someday. seen 90 seconds of Jade, and it it, it already looks amazing. <laughs> uh, I've not seen Jade, but to sell you on it, Joe, it's Joe Hesterhaus, writes a script, produced by Robert Evans, directed by William Friedkin. Yeah, I, I would love to watch it. And, and that was David Caruso's attempt. He quit NYPD Blue, and wasn't this his first movie? Because oh, he wanted it? He wanted to become a movie star, and then this movie... If I recall correctly, it was a massive flop, right? Yeah. It, uh, yeah. Yep, and then David yep. Caruso kind of had to come back to television with his tail between his legs. Yep, In fairness, yep. I will say that if you're David Caruso, betting on Robert Evans is a good bet, usually. And at this point, Joe Esterhaus <laughs> is a good bet, too. Yes. Um, all right. So Joe Esterhaus, um, famously, well, the script sold for $3 million. It was at the time, I think, the highest purchase script. Yeah, so spe- um, it's called a spec script, and so he, he like it's it's very difficult to get big paydays for spec scripts anymore. It was and those are where you write it and then you go and try to sell it. You aren't like hired to write mm, it. Okay, and he has multiple screenplays that he sold for over a million dollars, which is just incredible. And I, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. I, I knew about how much he got for Basic Instinct and Showgirls, but I didn't know that he got a million and a half for a two-page outline for of J, for Jade. Like, Hollywood was just throwing money around in the 90s. He, and it, that doesn't happen anymore. So he's, first of all, his his parents were like Hungarian refugees during World War II. There's large patches of his life that I would love to know um, more about, but I've Here's what I think defines Joe Esterhaus is 
this is from a Slate article. It says, his career is dedicated to the principle that the 14-year-old boy has something to say. <laughs> I and mean, is, I'm, good, I'm good with that. He is ridiculously horny, but um, I don't want to say he's smart, but he can talk and kind of come off as smart. I watched a half-hour interview of him on Charlie Rose. <laughs> uh, here's a, I found this good quote about Basic Instinct. He says, I wrote it in a blind frenzy while listening almost nonstop to the Rolling Stones. Uh, that is code for doing cocaine. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I didn't outline the script and I didn't know my ending until I was almost two thirds finished. It exploded out of my head. I kept hearing lines of dialogue and had to hurry up to keep with the voices I was hearing. Oh boy. I woke up at four in the morning and wrote lines of dialogue. I wrote it in two shifts every day from nine in the morning till one in the afternoon and from three in the afternoon till eight o'clock from the time I began writing until the day my agent sold it 13 days. And he was, um, all of that I mean, is code for cocaine. Like, he just and, stayed up for two weeks straight. And, he, and before he was a screenwriter, he was a police reporter in Cleveland. Yes. He's, he's lived a life. <laughs> um, but so I, I just, uh, I jotted down a few fun facts I I learned today. Okay. Um, his first movie was the movie uh, Fist, F-I-S-T, with Stallone. And when Stallone took credit for the script, Esther House challenged him to a fist fight. <laughs> <laughs> Do not know how that ended. Um, he has been known to bring a wooden stick into meetings and smash it on the table when he's angry. <laughs> I mean, he's a guy, he's a guy who, like the like the the like idea of a writer thinking they're as important as a director like that's joe esterhouse who got in fights with directors all the time yeah I think. um he he submitted a script for one night stand which was a di- or eventually made but he wasn't credited and it was just a huge flop it might have been straight to video but his original draft of one night stand had a 65 page description of a marathon sex session oh my god um <laughs> oh my god and this is where I really got deep into his uh, his work. So I, 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 this might be, we can cut some of this, but I think it's good stuff. So he's also famous, like Joe said, Hollywood was throwing money at him and about half of his movies weren't made. Like he was just giving them tons of spec scripts and scripts and making loads of money, like six, seven figure paydays. And they all sound really bad. Well, most of them do. <laughs> so one that he made before he was famous, and I don't know how much he got for this, is Beat the Eagle. A bar owner does battle with the IRS. Then okay. na- now we're getting into like his, his when he's famous. Um, he sold a screenplay called Original Sin for a million and a half dollars, never used. Wow. Oh, the the plot as I could find was a woman who enlists a talk show host to put her on her show to find an ex lover. The lover in question shows up and our heroine is soon involved with both him and the talk show host. Uh, Sounds, sounds fun. Actually. Another, another movie that he was paid $2 million for called male pattern baldness. (laughs) Uh, described as a tense comedy about what is happening to many men in our society today. (laughs) Oh, no. That sounds awesome. It was described (laughs) as being about explosive male rage. Oh, no. So I have two more, and the 
these are the best. One is called Sacred Cows. Uh, um, and it's estimated he got half a million due, three quarters of a million dollars, again, for a script that's just sitting around somewhere. The narrative was about a photograph of the current president of the United States having sexual relations with a cow. <laughs> His opponent gets a hold of the photo and tries to blackmail the president, but the photo is leaked anyway. So that's sacred cow. Okay. <laughs> so wow. so after, like you said, after Showgirls, he kind of, you know, he's kind of drummed out of Hollywood. Like Hollywood finally realized like, oh, maybe we should stop just burning money on this dude. <laughs> Um, it's crazy how much he made on on scripts that never were made. Yeah, ha- about half his scripts were never made, and so he kind of disappears. And um, flash forward now, he he's actually a born again Catholic because he had cancer, and now he's he found the Lord. Um, yes. So yeah, Joe Esterhouse is he's up there as one of my favorite random psychopaths who make movies like he's like paul schrader if paul schrader never felt guilty about anything well i mean you mentioned him becoming a uh, born again there's also the whole smoking thing <laughs> where yes. uh it, basic instinct has i mean there's everyone smoking i mean a, a big plot of the movie is that nick doesn't smoke or drink for a hot five minutes before yeah and then and then she like tells him you will get back to smoking which listen isn't like a huge prediction really no. um i was gonna ask you real quick before i forget he orders a double blackjack do you guys know what that is for a drink uh i'm assuming it involves black uh jack daniels because that's all he drinks in this movie but i wonder what it's mixed with i don't know so no i looked it up is it a cop drink i saw uh just a single blackjack is one and a half ounces of scotch, an ounce of Kahula, half ounce of triple sec, and a half ounce of lemon juice. Huh. Hmm. So I don't know if that's the blackjack that he was drinking. Um, but the smoking thing is a big thing in this movie. And uh, in 2002, Esther House wrote an op-ed in the New York Times um, about the hazards of smoking and how much he regrets how much he glamorized it in uh, Basic Instinct. Yeah, during that Charlie Rose interview, he can't make it through without a cigarette. <laughs> Halfway through, he just all of a sudden starts smoking. Oh, really? Interesting. The other uh, Esther House thing that I read, which just tells you the kind of gentleman this person is, um, he wrote a couple books, and one of his books, A Hollywood Animal, he talks about the time he got to sleep with Sharon Stone. Yeah. Um, here's this quote from him. I'm glad I nailed her, though. Not because nailing her felt that good, it was okay, but because as a result of Sharon Stone's presence in my life, I met and married Naomi, my one true love. Classy guy. <laughs> nice. So, uh, yep. And he also said, I figured that since I had written the biggest hit of her life for her, she was just saying thank you. <laughs> Boy. Man. What a guy. Cool. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? Still alive, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when are we releasing this? But yeah. In like a couple weeks. So well, he'll... Uh, you know, yes. For all intents and purposes, we'll say yes. He made it to 2020. Yes, he made it to 2020. Um, we sort of already discussed Paul Verhoeven. I don't know if you guys want to add anything more about him. I, uh, I would just say that I, I, he's one of my favorite directors. I, I absolutely love him. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't have much more to say than that. I think yeah. he's great. Every everything he makes it looks great. Um, he has yeah. a very distinctive look. It's kind of 
I would describe it as glossy, but not in a bad artificial way. It's, yeah. I would say, like, seen... his work from Robocop through Starship Troopers is mostly just him <laughs> as sort of a, a Dutch uh, import into Hollywood, just trying to tell America, like, I'm trying to warn you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have not seen stuff i haven't like i've i've only seen everything from robocop to hollow man uh, i haven't seen anything okay. that black uh, black book is good i i i keep forgetting that he made l in uh 2016 i've heard it's really really good yeah he kind of went back to, he went back to europe and kind of became a famous auteur again yeah hollow man was such a flop and a bad experience <laughs> that he was like i'm out of here i've never seen hollow man that's i think the only one other than l that i haven't seen uh, of his American movies, yeah. or have you seen like? Okay, yeah. I, I would like um, to see his Dutch movies, but I I haven't ever really seen them anywhere to watch. I'm, I'm yeah, sure if I tried harder, I could find it. Well, guys, we are we are reaching the end of our our uh, our romp through erotic Please thrillers. Please don't make me look at Michael Douglas anymore. We're <laughs> not doing another Michael Douglas movie. Uh, we're gonna do Wild Things, which is sort of the end of the erotic thriller era, um, which has Kevin Bacon in it, who was also in Hollow Man. Um, and uh, I I have... Here, let's say, I have seen scenes from Wild Things. <laughs> Whatever's on <laughs> I've Mr. Never Skin. Seen, <laughs> never seen the full so thing. I've never actually seen it, even though my friends would not shut up about it. I somehow missed it. So I'm excited to finally fill in Me this too. gap. Me too. Um, and if you're like, gosh, guys... Four episodes of erotic thrillers. I need more. Well, I've got something that will make you happy. Immediately after we record this, we will be recording an episode, which will be our fifth episode in this series, but only for Patreons, patrons, whatever they're called, uh, our child army. Um, with friend of the show, Meeks, we're going to be talking about Disclosure. So once again, more Michael Douglas. But that will be available actually before this comes out. So uh, if you want, you can go to um, patreon.com slash the Midnight Boys. And for $2, you can listen to that episode, plus all the other Patreons, After Dark content, all time, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Th- listen, this we is going to be this, – this is the unrated version of our erotic thrillers season, right? It's going to go out raw and uncut? Well, as uncut as a Meeks episode can like, be, yes. Assuming that like we don't cut off him saying – screaming my microphone doesn't work uh (laughs) cutting out the noise of his dial-up uh firing up things like that yeah assuming that it will be it will be uh it will be the uncut we'll have to turn down the volume when the travel pillow bursts otherwise people (laughs) might get scared Uh, when he's walking around the room stomping on candy wrappers (laughs) oh yeah uh so uh yeah, if you want more, uh, Wild Things next week. And then uh, we already talked about Fatal Attraction, Body Double. And then you can listen to us talk about Disclosure with Meeks on our Patreon feed. Give us Guys, your money. <laughs> it's been a delight to talk Basic Instinct, which. Min- it's been a while just... since we were all on the same page on one, I feel like. Yeah, yeah I think it has. I think, I think we all enjoy this. It's fun. It is just a fun, fun, absurd, nonsense movie. And as Joe kind of mentioned, like. You know, it is a, a uh, this is a erotic thriller as neo noir, which is a lot of those. They all should be in this era. It's the I best mean, way to do it. It's kind of the whole Hitchcock thing that most noirs were just they couldn't be that horny, <laughs> otherwise yeah. they would have. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, yep, 
Yep. All right. Well, we'll be back next week talking about wild things.